This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. On today's City Report podcast, what the government's white paper into an independent regulator might look like, which City star is in line for a new contract and what to expect from an FA Cup trip to Bristol, while also a discussion on what would be more useful in a fight, seven buffaloes, four lions or 10,000 rodents. It's Tuesday the 28th of February. I'm Adam Booker. I'm Ollie McCool. And this is the City Report podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Chaps, welcome back. Adam, good weekend? Um... I worked the whole weekend. The Timbers game was postponed because of weather, uh, which was a bit annoying because I was really looking forward to that. Um, but it is tonight, so in a couple hours after we get off here, I'll be picking up a friend, headed to the pub for the evening. Um, but my weekend was, uh, no, I just worked and was snowed into the house. Oh, that sounds pretty miserable, if I'm being honest. I had a fantastic weekend gallivanting around London with some family. Ollie, was yours any more exciting than that? Uh, well, it definitely wasn't as exciting as yours. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the City game kind of carried it on Saturday, and then and then Sunday was a day to just ignore Twitter, really, wasn't it, for obvious reasons. Um, and, uh, well, I guess the cricket was on as well, which is always an enjoyance for me. And I'm, and by the end of this year, we're going to have Adam into cricket, aren't we, Amos? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm just waiting until he comes over in a couple of weeks' time. I can always <laughs> tell uh, when the cricket is on based on how late Ali is tweeting and how little <laughs> I understand his tweets. Yeah, I think four thirty last night was when you tweeted me saying go to bed. Yeah, um, and I and I didn't and I didn't go to bed for another hour and a half after that. Lovely. 
Baswell baby. Um, right, well, maybe one day we'll get some of these tweets, uh, cricket tweets up and we'll, we'll quiz Adam. But I've actually got a different question to kick off with. I mentioned it in the inter- in the introduction. Um, what might be more useful in a fight? Andrew Detmer of this parish sent this question in. It wasn't his question. He didn't come up with it himself. He's not this perverse. However, it's labelled an important for experiment. Boys, you're in an arena with 50 hawks. This is the most important part. 50 hawks, 10 crocodiles, 3 brown bears, 15 wolves, 1 hunter with a rifle, we presume with ammunition as well, 7 buffaloes, 10,000 rats, 5 gorillas and 4 lions. You get to pick two of those to defend you. The others are attacking you. Your goal is to survive one hour. Adam, no context to your answers at all. Who are you picking? Right. Okay. So I'm gonna first I'm gonna pick who I want to attack me. And this is an easy one for me. I know for sure that I want the hunter with the rifle because human actions are predictable. Animal actions are not predictable. I can predict what he's going to do with the rifle. I can predict, I can read body language. I can't read the body language of a gorilla. (laughs) I want to defend me. So that's, all right, hold on. I'll finish off with the attack. So a hunter with a rifle to attack me and probably... mm, I don't know, five gorillas. After that, they're all kind of equal to me. So I'm going to say a hunter with a rifle to attack me along with five gorillas. To defend me, this was an easy one. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. You realize that you don't get to pick two to defend you. What? They all def- the, Sorry, you don't get to pick two to attack you. They all attack you. Oh. And you get to pick two to defend yeah, yeah, you. Christ. Yeah, you pick your two, you pick your two to defend. Okay. <laughs> all right, to defend me, I'm going with 15 wolves. This is easy. They're going to work the best in a team. They have, you know, the pack mentality. That's an easy one for mm-hmm. me. And then from there, I think I'm going to go with 50 hawks because I think you'd be very, very, very surprised just how big hawks are. You see them up in the sky and you say, look, there's a very good looking bird up there. When you see them up <sighs> next to a human, they're like the size of a medium sized human. Mm. They're massive, depending on what type of hawks they are, of course. But here in this, this wild, wild west I live in here on the west coast of America. We've got some big-ass birds. So I think I want the 15 <laughs> wolves on the ground working as a team and the 50 hawks from above just harrying my my opponents there. And I, uh, I think I'll survive. That's interesting because I think almost every person I've seen answer this, Ollie, and you can jump in with your answer now, they've mentioned 10,000 rats because 10,000 is... It's not incomprehensible numbers wise because you could say, oh, like, just look at the South Stand, that sort of gives you some comparison. But at the same time, it's a lot. I mean, if you, I, I will, if you need 10,000 rats, just look at the cop at Anfield. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And that's anyway. off the air. <laughs> anyway, um, however, Adam sort of ignored that side, that side of it. Are, are, you, are you calling on the rats? See, see I, I thought I did think about the ten thousand rats, but I, I agree with Adam. You, Fifteen wolves, pack mentality. You know, you can, wolves are relatively trainable, but also they'll just attack anything in sight. They'll just they'll just go for the throat of the hunter, which kind of rules him out immediately. And then you can pick up his gun, and there you go. You've you've earned yourself an extra. Um, so that's my kind of thinking with the wolves. 
Um, and my, my other decision was between three brown bears or four lions because they're just really aggressive. I, I thought about it from the perspective with the second one of what I would like to attack me least. Mm. So with in, in, and in my head, the hunter's out of it. He's dead. He's gone. His throat's been ripped out by a wolf. And then, and then that wolf moves on to get on with the hawks or the rats. Um, so, I think I think having three brown bears, big. I mean, they're burly. They're huge creatures, and they're vicious. Like one swipe, and you're dead. And you know whether it's a rat or a hawk, then they'll fire through. They'll just eat rats. So that, that's that sort. Of, they'll just they'll just chomp them down easy. That's a that's an aperitif to them. Um, <laughs> So uh, that that's my logic. Uh, whether it's yeah. right or not, I don't know. But uh, I, I think I have a question. I'd back myself. I'd back myself. Are the rats from New York City? The big ones there, aren't they? I've seen if, if they're the rats from New York City, ten thousand New York City subway rats <laughs> is thirty thousand regular rats. <laughs> oh my lord! Um, I, I know what you mean, and I think looking at it from to wrap up on this absolute nonsense. The one hour part of this is important. If it was twenty four hours, it changes your thinking because then you not you don't want that sort of that initial aggression from a from a, a lion or from a sort of from wolves or whatever. I think that one hour you can try and blitz the opposition a little bit like City did at Bournemouth at the weekend, which brings us back on to why we're hey. here. Um, from one sort of absolutely jovial start to the podcast to, to something actually pretty serious. We mentioned it last week about the government white paper ollie we've commissioned you you've been doing some reading you've actually told us you've read it twice over how many pages are in it to start off uh, with? uh well from co- cover to cover it's 100 i think with actual detail and it's more towards 85 because you know what the government's like they'll fill anything with a bit with a load of crap on it ministerial <laughs> forwards ignore them completely let's get, show me the detail i want the, i want i wanted the granular detail yeah, they'll fill, fill anything with crap, including the cabinet bench. So, Ollie, to start off with, um, less talking from me, minimal talking from Adam at this point. Basically, <laughs> first of all, what is it? What might it do? And when might we see it? So, uh, avid fans of the British football situation will remember after the European Super League broke down uh, that a fan-led review was commissioned by the sports minister, Tracy Crouch, who herself is a Tottenham fan. Uh, she makes. She was probably one of the best sports ministers we've had in the last kind of few years. Um, you know, rare, rare to find a Tory with principle, but there we go. Um, and her review uh, led to the idea of an independent regulator, which everyone will have heard Gary Neville waffling on about on Sky Sports at some point. Um, and a, the, the Premier League doesn't want it they want to prove they can govern themselves which is probably why um we're being charged with 115 various different things but in the but in the world of an independent regulator they take on that job essentially their job is to basically run british run english football and their recommendations were to run it from the premier league down to the national league so the so the top five tiers of english football would all fall into this the idea is it's to stop situations like what happened to Bury, like to Macclesfield, um, also to Derby. Um, one of the case studies was in it was Leeds United in the early 2000s when obviously they had that famous quote, should we have spent so much in the past? Probably not, but we lived the dream. The whole idea is to strengthen financial regulations in football and kind of 
the common phrase that kept coming up was financial resilience. So it's a set of rules to keep bad people out of football with new owners and directors tests to have prospective club owners and current club owners prove they have the financial assets to keep clubs running and as a, and as the liquidation is a last 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 resort um and a bunch of other things which i'll go over briefly but adam you want to hop in quickly yes i have a question professor so um <laughs> when you say that they want to keep bad people out of owning football clubs do you mean people with bad intentions as in milking clubs for money like the way we've seen the glazers do or do you mean people like Sheikh Mansour, like people, the private investment fund of Saudi Arabia, where the source of their money may be "quote unquote" bad, um, but their intentions with their money are good? See, uh, there isn't much detail, but I think it leans more toward the first option. Uh, but I think it's more targeted at lower league clubs. So what? So what happened to Berry, for example? Um, Peter Dale, I think his name was, took over the club, admitted he knew nothing about football and sold off all his assets. Um, and then the club couldn't afford to pay its debt, couldn't afford to pay its debts and was brought into liquidation and expelled from the EFL uh, after months and months. So it's to stop situations like that happening, I think. Um, and in that, they suggest that clubs pay for a license so every professional club in britain it will be, will have to get attain a license and how you attain that license is by proving that your intentions with the club are good you provide your robust business plans you, pro- you provide your source of wealth your proof of funds it's all that is strengthened beyond what it currently is um and then the standards for fan engagement to stop situations like uh you know, Leeds United, again, with their badge change a few years ago, that never happened. Fans would now get a veto on that. They'd get vetoes on club colours changing. The independent regulator would have control over whether stadium moves can happen. So, for example, Everton going from Goodison Park to their new stadium, if it ever gets finished, if they ever finish building it. Um, in, a, in theory, a reg- the regulator would have control over whether that happens or not. Um, and clubs would only be allowed to play in regulator-approved competitions, which includes all of the current competitions in English football. So all the UEFA ones, Carabao Cup, FA Cup, Premier League, EFL, National League as well. Um, so that stops the European Super League ever happening again. Um, the problem I find with it is that it's... I don't think the legislation for this will look like this when it comes to parliament and when it actually gets voted on and debated properly so this is going to be an issue that is going to be ongoing for probably another year or so yet um whatever happens with government you know there could be another change of prime minister god forbid um and that could push it back even another year you know this is a sort this isn't the highest of priorities right now but i imagine if an election came around this would be one of the kind of flagship promises because it's a bit populist it gets people on side people want to know their football club is safe people don't go to football we all know this we don't go to football and consume it like an average how we say we go to asda it's not like that if if asda closes down you can just go to tesco if your football club closes down a liverpool fan isn't going to go to everton a manchester city fan isn't going to immediately jump ship to united so it's protecting that heritage but it's also, I think, I think personally, it oversteps in some ways, and it's and it could be bad for football if we allow this independent body who they haven't said who's going to be who's going to be part of it, what kind of people are going to be part of it. 
if we're going to give them complete checks and balances, complete control of monitoring English football as a whole, I think that sets a quite dangerous precedent. I mean, this could be why we don't have nice things in football anymore. <laughs> Just to play devil's advocate, if there, <clears throat> if there is fan involvement, how independent is the regulator? Can the independent regulator come in and say, well, this is my judgment on this situation, but the supporters' trust of whatever club they're judging on says, actually, we feel differently, we're going to veto? See, I am. I mean, this is where... Uh, the white paper lacks a bit of detail. You know, this isn't the this isn't what for the full detail. A, a lot of it is this has we have scope on here. You know that we could for, this is going to go into further detail at later stages. But from what I understand is that when it's decisions that the regulator has to approve, like say a stadium move, um, fans' opinions will be taken in local councils. What the club actually wants to do, can they afford to do it? Um, do they have the do they have the investment, whether from public funds or private funds, to do it? All of those would be taken into consideration. But I mean, they do consistently stress that it's about fans, um, and I think I, I think that's good. You know, whether it leads to shadow boards as such, or whether it leads to greater greater powers for supporters trusts, I think that, I think they could be quite good things. Uh, one thing that one definite recommendation was that they wanted a board level official dedicated to fan engagement as as much as some people might know every club has what we call a supporters liaison officer who is that sort of job but the government wants that position to be at board level now so it's kind of given a bit more importance whether that actually happens is up to the clubs but if they fail to meet tests on fan engagement they could have their license taken away and therefore they can't operate as a professional football club in the uk in england um, and who knows, we may see this extended to Scotland, to Wales, to Northern Ireland, you know, whilst their leagues are nowhere near as financially dominant as the Premier League. Um, this It could be a sizing moment for British football as a whole, uh, which especially in those countries where clubs operate on much smaller budgets. I mean, that could be a real sea change for clubs in other parts of the UK and in lower down the leagues in England. Yeah, nicely done, nicely done. Plenty of detail there. And and I will say at this point, we will have a longer episode on this at some point in the near future as it sort of, as you mentioned, becomes clearer as what the legislation might look like. Because at the moment, you know, there's so much to digest, but it's almost counterproductive going into too much detail because when it gets into Parliament, one snap of the fingers and suddenly it looks completely different, which is why it's sort of shoehorned into this segment here. Um, Quickly then, Adam, before we move on to part two and we speak about some on-the-pitch football, it's interesting given the context surrounding the current allegations around City, isn't it? Especially when you consider the white paper was delayed a couple of weeks and then those those charges were brought uh, brought into sort of public domain against City. Um, it it's no surprise, I suppose, why the Premier League are so against it. However, from a not even a Man City point of view, from a supporter point of view, all of this sounds great. The only issue is it has to get through and it has to be turned into law before we see any benefits. Yeah, I mean, it all sounds great when you read it on paper. Um, I have a hard time trusting any government body with anything anywhere. Um <laughs> You know, there is a sinister way to look at it, which is that the government is, you know, um, reining in more power in what is one of the biggest, you know, money-fueled industries in the world at the moment, and that is football, especially in in England. 
Um, but you're right, it does come at a very interesting time and not just City. It, it, a lot of massive footballing institutions in England are in flux at the moment. You've got United potentially up for sale. You've got Tottenham and Liverpool potentially up for sale. Um, you've, you know, are obviously still kind of on the just on the other side of of Chelsea's big, we won't call it sale because obviously Roman Abramovich was ousted, but um it's a really interesting time. And and you know, if if it is a positive thing and it's not, you know, a, a sinister government ploy for power, then it'll be a fantastic thing if if fans have more of, of a say in things because for many of us, you know, it's it's great. The things that I have seen as a Manchester City supporter have been fantastic. The Premier League titles, the FA Cups, you know, I was I was at Wembley to see City win the treble. I've lived fantastic things, but that's not what football is about for me. And I would be absolutely willing to potentially part ways with kind of flying this close to the sun all the time if it meant more fan power, more fan regulation, and feeling like I'm more in touch with my own club. Because at the moment, I don't feel in touch with the club that I support in any way, shape, or form. They are just this massive footballing entity that – I am have been grandfathered into supporting essentially, um, but uh, yeah, I think if it um, if it does go through, there are a lot of positives to take from it. Welcome back to the City Report podcast, your home for daily Manchester City content. A couple more talking points before we get out of here. Um, some contract news. Both Julian Alvarez, separate reports, by the way, both Julian Alvarez and Nathan Ake are reportedly in talks with Manchester City, of course, surrounding new deals. Um, Ollie, I'll give you Ake straight away. I, I think it's, it's certainly something that's been deserving this season. I would say, much like Alvarez as well, it is sort of a, a reward, a, a merited deal, because I think he's still got over two years left on his current contract. It's nice to see because you know he's he's sort of he had this this transfer story hanging over him in the summer. He said, "No, I want to fight for my place at City." And I think at some at that point, some people looked at that and gone, "Okay, but you're probably going to spend a lot of the time on the bench." He came in at the start of the season and since then has been one of City's best best performers. Yeah, I mean, I remember on, a po- on this exact on this very podcast, I named him City's Player of the Season, except Harland midway through. Um, and I think that kind of form has continued from Nathan Ake. He's absolutely deserving of a new contract. Um, and I'm glad he, um, and I hope he signs it. Um, I think he's been a fantastic player this season. And hopefully we've got him for a fair, form, a fair few more years to come. Yeah, I, Nathan Ake, Adam, was a player who I think we've mentioned no, numerous times before the Daily Shows, going back to the advent of this podcast, and we've mentioned his worth and Fans of other clubs have looked at that and gone, what, really, Nathan Ake? He was this £50 million offender from Bournemouth who had just been relegated. But as Ollie says, he, he he's absolutely proven that worth not only to us, who, who sort of knew his qualities, but also the wider footballing world. Yeah, and he's just one of those players with, you know, the the cliche tagline of a manager's dream. You know, he, he doesn't mm. seem to, um, at least on the surface, he doesn't seem to pout if he's out of the team for a little bit. He'll play in any position you ask him to. I bet if he was asked to play up front, if Holland and Alvarez were injured, he would say, "Yeah, sure. Just tell me what you need me to do, and I'll do it." You know, he he's one of those players that he always has, you know, a smile on his face. He's he's a not only a manager's dream, but he's a supporter's dream. And there's a reason that 
the entire Vitality Stadium, the away fans and the home fans, had given him a, a standing ovation when he came off because he's a lovely guy, a lovely player, and he's a fantastic player. Um, and mm-hmm. I totally agree with Ollie that if, if Erling Holland wasn't smashing goal-scoring records, Nathan Ake is nailed-on player of the season because he's played at, at center-back, left-back. He's played in you know center-back and a back three, and his levels have just never dropped. It, it, nothing seems to phase him at the moment. And when you look at the players around him in defense you know, going into this season, especially given what we saw from, from Akanji in his first couple of weeks, Nathan Ake was probably, what, fifth on the depth chart of center backs? And for mm-hmm. him to still put in the performances that he's put in, he's 28 years old. If if this extension kind of ties him down for the remainder of the prime of his career, that's fantastic because I, I truly think he is a dream player, not only with the way he plays, but his attitude. I, and I actually think it could potentially point towards uh, a departure in that left-footed centre-half role yeah. for Laporte going forward if, if City is so sort of intent on tying him down. Um, as for another one, and I, I feel like this one's probably a little bit more interesting, not least because, well, he's been signed to the club for a year, but he's not been sort of in the squad for a year. And it, it is Julian Alvarez. Oli, reports suggesting that he's set for a one-year extension, which would then take his contract up until 2028. Currently, it's set to expire in 2027. But unconfirmed reports at this point suggesting that it could take him in line with some of City's highest earners. He's obviously had a sort of sensational 12 months or so. He was a little unknown Argentine. So I think he was 21 years old this time last year or 22 playing for River Plate, banging in sort of double hat-tricks every week. Came to City, had a fantastic first part of the season, won the World Cup with Argentina, almost spearheaded Lionel Messi's Argentina to World Cup victory. And he's obviously come back and um, be that agent in the air or sort of transfer talk from elsewhere, interest from other parties saying, yeah, we'll make you the, the best player at this football club. City have reacted to that. And I don't know if it's a sort of a, a cat and mouse game here, but it feels like it could be the right decision. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with it. I think I think this is more about, um, you know, it's giving him the status of the player that he now is instead of the player that he was a year ago. You know, I think the first report of him getting, new, get, getting offered a new deal was right after the World Cup. So I think that's City saying, right, we, now, we know you're one of the elite players in Europe now. You're not on wages that are currently of that level. We're going to give you that weight. We're going to give you those wages. We're going to make sure you stay at this club because we, you know, we're believing in you. We're investing in you, um, and just like with Nathan Aka, I hope he signs it. I think Julian Alvarez could be a huge part of this club for years to come. Uh, I think he's going to be fantastic, um, you know, for this club going forward. You know, he said he's been in and out of the team, and you know, he may have problems with that um, as, as any player would, um, especially when you sat behind Erling Haaland. But um, I think he's at the right place for his career at the moment, and I. And I really hope he signs a new deal because I absolutely love the kid. Yeah, yeah, and you can tell Guardiola does as well. And uh, and I can imagine, unlike perhaps Ferran Torres and, and other players, Adam, we've seen leave in the past. This feels like one that City cannot let sort of slip through the fingers. We obviously knew when he came in that he was this important player. He was this project. There was news of loan moves dismissed almost immediately. As always, Barcelona are reportedly sniffing around him. Um, I feel like at this point, though, for Alvarez, it's probably a case of making sure he feels 
des- like a deserving of that contract as opposed to him just being handed it for the sake of it. Do you see in the second half of the season? Obviously, it was fantastic against against Bournemouth, and I'm sure he'll feature in tonight's game against Bristol City. But do you see him getting a sort of increased role within the squad? Maybe slightly, um, but only because I think there's just going to be more and more games, especially if City get through Leipzig, if they get through Bristol. There's going to continue to be, you know, more midweek games and, you know, the, that's going to take more of a toll on the squad and, and the squad's going to have to be a little bit bigger. So um, one thing I think we have to keep in mind, maybe not so much with the Nathan Ake deal, but especially for the Julian Alvarez deal is he's a player that's going to be here long beyond Pep Guardiola. So if you're a player like him, like maybe a Cole Palmer, like maybe a Maxime Perone, and you're, you know, looking at potential new deals down the line. Um, you know, your current role in the team and the way that the team sets up is is not permanent. So if Alvarez is looking and say, "Oh, we only ever play with one striker, and I'm behind Holland," the next manager who may be here in two years' time may not. You know, not we're not too far removed from the days of having what Alvaro Negredo, Sergio Aguero, Edin Dzeko, and Steven Steven Jovetic all in the team, and they all played. You know, so. Um, I think that's important to remember with these kind of long-term contract extensions that that Pep is going to eventually leave and it might be in the next few years. And these are players that are, that are going to outlast him and their role may change. So I think the club behind the scenes are probably giving him assurances about his role going forward as well. And they should be. I mean, he's a, he's a fantastic player and you know he's the, th- he's the third leading goal scorer on the team at the moment and he doesn't really ever seem to play. So... Maybe not leading scorer, but with goal contributions, he's he's third on the list. So um, he's obviously a fantastic player, and the more he plays, the more he's going to improve. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't think anyone listening to this or anyone speaking on this panel, for example, is sort of downplaying his contribution. He's featured thirty times for City across all competitions, and and obviously reached double figures uh, the weekend. Um, let's pivot to Bristol City then, Ollie. Fifth round of the FA Cup midweek fixture. This screams banana skin. Bristol City unbeaten in 12 matches, I think it is, under under Nigel Pearson, who is uh, famous for his ostrich comments, amongst others. Um, I think we were on the show pre-Southampton in the League Cup, sort of not necessarily downplaying the fixture, but saying, you know, it's a nice game for City, Southampton, bottom of the Premier League at the time. I think they were, or they were certainly in the bottom three. Um, a chance for a bit of rotation, a chance to get some fresh legs into the team. I get the feeling, and especially on the back of Pep's comments yesterday, I get the feeling that this is going to be a pretty strong team for City. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, uh, his comments were really interesting. You know, he was really talking up Bristol City and not just in a way that, you know, he does off the cuff generally. Um, You know, the big question, and we had this over the Southampton game, is Calvin Phillips. And I think that question is even bigger now after his performance um, of the weekend. Because, you know, you're 20 minutes off the bench in a very rotated team at that point, you know, 4-0 up, you can say, oh, it's not that important. And we all kind of agreed in, the, in our group chat, you know, we shouldn't be judging him on this. But coming on, immediately getting a booking, you know, not looking like you've got the desire. I don't think Pet will have, you know, looked at that lightly. But I think he may kind of have to question it with, well, we, I need to give Rodri a rest at some point. So for me, that's going to be the interesting selection decision. Um, I would expect Julian Alvarez to start at striker on his own in this one. Though I think that's kind of you know got to give Haaland the rest at some point as well. He can't start every game, 
And too often at the moment, he's playing full 90s instead of coming off in the 45th or the 60th minute. Um, so, as you say, yeah, potential banana skin. I'm definitely not going to be talking up City so jubilantly like I did against Southampton. You know, burned once, don't want to be burned again. <laughs> yeah. Um, Adam, then, obviously, we expect Ortega to play. There was a few sort of fringe players who got a decent chunk of minutes against Bournemouth. Obviously, Calvin Phillips being one of them. Um, Perone came off the bench. Sergio Gomez as well. How many of those, you know, if we're doing percentages, take obviously Ortega out of the question because he's going to start. So there's 10 outfield players. Of those 10, what percentage do you reckon we're going to see sort of bona fide first team starters as opposed to those players on the peripheries? Um, I think we're probably, I'm going to flip the question and answer it the other way because I think we don't have a big enough squad to you know, we're, we certainly don't have a secondary 11 of fringe players. So there's going to be a decent amount of first teamers in there. But I think we're probably going to see Calvin Phillips. I think we'll play Sergio Gomez. I don't know. It's a bit confusing that he comes into the Bournemouth game, but he plays in midfield as opposed to <laughs> out wide like we've seen him. So is that, you know, a shift in Guardiola's vision for his role down the, down the line? Or was that just you're 4-0 up and you're just kind of getting, you know, minutes in people's legs. Um, I think the most interesting thing would probably be Maximo Perone because he came on and he looked pretty decent at the Vitality and and he was kind of bigged up by his teammates afterwards. I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, but um, one of the kind of senior players at City basically said it felt like he'd been with us for years. I mean, he just, he fit right in like a glove. So I'd love to see him get some minutes. I doubt he plays from the start. Um, just because mm-hmm. he is so new and he only came in in January. He's only been training with the team for you know a month and a half. Um, and I would imagine that given the way we've been playing in the Premier League, given the way we've been playing in, in that first leg in the Leipzig game, I would imagine that Pep probably has his eye on the FA Cup. Not that he ever takes his eyes off of any of the prizes, but he probably is looking at this as a really good opportunity to get some silverware in a bit of a transition year. Um, but I think, you know, it's a bit confusing because Rico Lewis starts at Bournemouth, whereas maybe it felt like this would have been a Rico Lewis game at Bristol. So it's a really weird time because it feels like we don't quite know who the fringe players are at the moment. You know, Mm -hmm. Kevin De Bruyne couldn't get in the team. Is he a fringe player that now needs minutes in the legs at Bristol? even though he's Kevin De Bruyne. It's a, re- it's a really weird time to answer that question. I think that we'll see uh, just uh, the people on the bench at Bournemouth. We'll probably see Mares start. We'll see De Bruyne start, Phillips start, Kyle Walker start, and maybe Bernardo Silva and obviously Ortega. That's everybody off the bench at Bournemouth except for Perone. So I think it'll be wholesale changes, but when you look at who played at Bournemouth, you're bringing in a bunch of bona fide starters, or at least people we think as, as starters. Yeah, yes, yeah, certainly. I, I, I do feel like it's going to be an interesting team selection tonight. Uh, we'll wait and see. You know, who knows? It's probably going to be. I have a full strength for there'll be about 16. 16-year-olds in the squad knowing Guardiola this season. Um, Chaps, we've got through an awful lot, so I'll call it a day there. Ollie, thank you very much. I'm going to go and uh, do some white paper reading for our next rendezvous on this. No problem, mate. Thanks for having me again. 
Adam, thank you very much. Yeah, well, while you're doing your white paper readings, I'll be training my 15 wolves. <laughs> yeah, let us know what you'd have picked for that question. Um, if you haven't already, hit subscribe, hit follow, hit ratings and reviews. Until next time, we'll see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.